and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone Rochefort. This episode of the show is brought to you by Tracker and Tidbits. I'm joined tonight by Christina Warren, Senior Tech Correspondent at Mashable.com, and Brianna Wu, Head of, de- head of, head, head, head of <laughs> Development at Giant Space Cat. I, I like that. I'm, I'm Head of Development. I sound like... Uh, Ern- oh my god. Ern- Fudge? <laughs> Elmer Fudd. Elmer, Elmer Fudd. Fudd. Yes. I sound like yes. Elmer Fudd. <laughs> I was like, Ernest Fudge. You know. Ernest the man. <laughs> Good old you Ernest Fudge. You do sound like Ernest Fudge. Not much like Elmer Fudd, though. Fine. I literally need to do, like, tongue twisters before I before I say your title, Brie. I'll, uh, maybe I'll come up with a better one. Maybe, I don't know, goddess. I feel like every week we come cat. up with a better one, and every week it just, like, disappears into the ether of all the promises that I make to our listeners. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> How are we doing? We're good. Good. But we're all a little punchy today. Yeah. Are we punchy or are we droopy? I mean, I, mean, I think I, it's okay, droopy, wait, I can, but... I'll be droopy. You be punchy. Uh, Brie, who do you want to be? Which I, of the seven I, dwarves? I, I gotta be honest. I've been hell all day so Already. that's where i am that's you want, where i am we're breaking our poor poor jim's hands well you know uh, this is this is important i have to be honest with our listeners right like podcast is all about honesty all right all right i'm not gonna call you that name but <laughs> okay you can <laughs> just start calling you that colloquially yeah hey, yeah why not yeah. they make a good title uh every week on the show <laughs> I wish you would call me Droopy. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm re- really what who I am today is Dopey. But more importantly, what's what's dopier than uh, me is poor security. <laughs> poor information security. So basically, um, it came out this week. Uh, a lot of emails from the DNC were leaked this week. They were hacked. Uh, reported CNN reported that they had been hacked like about a year ago, um, but the information was just released on WikiLeaks this week. There are a bunch of emails. We're not going to really be talking about what this means for the American election so much as we're going to be talking about security um, because it really, if the, CNN reported that um, the DNC had been hacked about a year ago and that also other branches of government had been um, yep. hacked at the same time. So this becomes mm-hmm. not just a 2016 election problem, but a government problem. And then, of course, a wider problem, again, of information. How do we keep it secure? How can companies keep their employees safe um, when information is so readily accessible? That is my intro to this topic. That is my apolitical intro to this topic. Well, I mean, we're not a political podcast, <laughs> yeah, right? We're not, I mean, we're this not. is this is this is a it's it's an infosec security issue. It, so, it totally know, is right. So we're we're going to avoid all of that. But you know, we all knew this was this was coming. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this had kind of come public about you know I think your rights man was about a year ago, and um, you know some I think uh, it was like and they were they announced that they were breached last month, but the the hack itself like had had been taking place for over a, about a year 
I keep saying there, over there a year, been but it's about whispers a year. of it. Like we we kind of knew the really big bomb uh, was going to come, and yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting in the sense that um, yeah, I can't be the only person this week that like had a moment of panic, thinking, "Wow, what would happen if all of my um, emails got hacked and out there into the world? Mm-hmm. Every conversation I've ever had with a journalist." All the inappropriate pictures Simone has sent me. Um, yeah, so what many. if all that came out? I mean, so many. really have been so, so many right. droopy pics. It's it's really mangoes, just everything. It's just really the mangoes. Well, I mean, we know um, what would happen because it happened to Gawker. Not that you're, <laughs> right. not that you have Hulk Hogan's sex tapes in right, your email, right, but right, like right. we have concrete examples of what happens to companies when their emails are leaked out. It's very disturbing. Or Sony, Sony's leak. Yeah. So so Sony is the big one. You know, a lot of companies have, have had stuff happen to. And and this is one of the circumstances where I think we again we all think about you know. Um, when uh, when when Gawker when their campfire was was what they used at the time when that was like leaked back in the day you know it was embarrassing for them and and it's embarrassing for other companies whose, whose emails are leaked and, and there have been instances in the past where you know uh, personnel files get get leaked and, and you think about your most private communications things that you never expect anybody to see um, getting out in the public sometimes in the right context sometimes not and and it's it can be devastating you know mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. It's I. I really I worry about the new legal environment that we are we're we're kind of going to be entering with this because you know if you know anything about computer science and what it's like, like you eventually are just surprised anything works at all. Like if you sit down and if you've like messed around with Linux and like looked at the code with your keyboard and then you start looking at how your keyboard communicates with like you know your screen and then you know, everything is just patched and running on top of other things. It's just, it's theoretically impossible for anything to be secure. So, you know, the truth is we're never like systems like TFA can help make you a little bit safer, but we are living in an age where anyone can be targeted this way. And I just, I, it's really scary. I think about some lawsuits that could happen with like, imagine if a company, all their hiring decisions got out there into the public. Uh, you know, we're going to be covering, um, Yahoo today. What if all of, um, you know, a woman's CEO's expenditures like got out there for the public to turn over and scrutinize? Like this well, is, and again, a, again, yeah. Sony is a perfect example. You know, when, when, when they, when they were hacked, you know, uh, people went through their emails and, and it all went up on WikiLeaks eventually. And, and people, disclosure, including myself, you know, we did reporting based on some of that information. I made a point to try to take personal things that were discovered in that hack and not report on those things and try to focus on business issues. But what you find out is that, you know, in, in these circumstances, because even though people like think, oh, you know, I'm living, um, in, you know, I said separating work and, and personal is a lot easier said than done. And even though that seems like an easy, you know, kind of out, you should only be doing work-related materials on your work accounts. The reality is people do personal stuff too. I mean, yeah. part of the thing that happened with these hacks, and again, kind of taking, you know, any of the, the politics out of it is that people's credit card numbers were leaked and not redacted yeah. when they were put on yeah. WikiLeaks. Um, the, you know, information about, about refugee, about women, you know, in, in, in Turkey and their information was, was leaked. You know, there was a lot of really sensitive data that was part of this, this part and parcel, you know, other than just whatever embarrassing political things might have happened. And, and, 
you know, it's interesting. The the news, I think, that was made, a lot of the embarrassing political stuff was very high profile. And then as I was digging into the research today, it was like, oh, pictures of checks from donors and contact yeah, information yeah. and social security numbers, Passport just like numbers. every other hack that we've yeah. seen, like from the Ashley Madison hack, from et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's always that information. And I feel like we're almost kind of inured to it at this point. But you know what I mean? But that's kind of that's the sad thing is like we you you we expect to be hacked. You yeah. you almost expect these things and you almost become desensitized to I think I think when you're not part of it, you become desensitized to the fallout. You know, um like I think that's what's really been disturbing to me, uh, Christina, is seeing, you know, the New York Times reported on this. And I was a little bit surprised about that because it's you know, it's a bunch of information that was committed through a crime, right? And I I think with some of the stuff I saw them reporting, I personally was not, um, I personally didn't think it crossed a threshold to being like um, in the public interest, some of this right. stuff. And it really bothers me to see this on Twitter, like see people treat it like it's entertainment or like they're do it and there's no um, sense of the violation. That is kind such of, a good point. Yeah. I totally did not like come upon that until you said that just now. I mean, I, I will admit to being a bad person again because I totally enjoyed the Sony leaks. I, I rolled around in that. It provided my amusement for a month. But it is so true that once a once an organization is hacked, it become the the story is oh what dirt did they do what crimes did they commit not the crime of that oh. was that was, was breaking into them I mean and especially in a case like this when you know it looks like it was it was state sponsored and 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 that becomes really scary on a lot of levels you know because then then, then you know it looks like it was Russia and and that becomes you know again, not wanting to bring politics into this, but when you think about the rationale of why people are doing these things and what other information they might have access to if they could get into this, what else is there? I I think another uh, point, you know, I'm I'm trying to stay away from the politics of it, but there was a a tweet this weekend I saw that went hyper viral. Uh, I think it was over 3,000 tweets. And it was this person that was like, oh my God, can you see that this person in this organization called up MSNBC and ordered them to stop their broadcast live on air? And you look at it and you look at it, it's using a little bit of media parlance where it's it's saying uh, video request. And basically they're asking for a copy of a video. And what, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... I, I'm not coming on the politics of it, but what I'm saying is like, there's a reason you have journalists like Christina Warren to go through all the documents of right. the Apple iPhone case, because <laughs> this stuff is hard to understand. Right. It does require insider knowledge. So when you have the public rushing to judgment about all these things, I think it's important to say like reputations can be destroyed. Yeah, there's totally an unsolvable problem here of the fact that we all have access to this information. And I don't think that that's a bad thing i don't think that we should be like no locking information either. away only for experts but it is totally a problem when we are all in these networks where we all have our hot takes and i think the informa- misinformation can spread so quickly well well i think again it, it kind of comes down to what the nature and what the point of these attacks were and 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 you know this was obviously at least wikileaks you couldn't release all the information but i mean it's a very different situation than when you look at like the Panama Papers, and you look at how that was vetted by news organizations, and, and they they decided to disseminate what what to go out and what not to. And, and certainly in this case, I'm not saying that that should have been the case because this wasn't something where I don't think any news organization, if they've been given the information, 
I, I don't know how many of them would have would have then leaked them to the public. Once it's out there, it's out there, like you said. But it does, I think, kind of put things into contrast, which it, not into contrast, but puts things into focus. Where, like, like you said, like anybody can access this stuff, and not everybody necessarily knows how to correctly read what's happening. But I think to your point, uh, Bree. I would honestly say in this case, it's almost I almost fall some of the journalism a little bit because once it's all out, you know, there's this rush to get the story first. So even the people who know better don't necessarily take the time to vet it the right way because they're so quick to want to why we want to get our story out, and 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 that's dangerous too. Um, but but I think you know. It, for me, anyway, I, I do always think about it, and, and I obviously still end up emailing and texting things that I, I shouldn't. But you, you do have to kind of get into this weird mindset which, where you're like, if all of my communications were published tomorrow, what would that do to me? And, and if you don't ask, and if you don't ask those questions when these things happen, then I think you should. I think everybody should. And 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 I don't. But but I want to pose to you guys when you think about those things. As I think about that a lot, I'm like, how would I feel? if this was all made public and some things that I say I would, I would own and be okay with. And some things I say, I'm sure that I wouldn't be, but does that change how you then react and how you deal with, with digital communication? Maybe for someone with more self-control. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I think not, and this isn't a slight against humanity, but I think we're just too short sighted not I, and I really don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean we can't live on guard twenty four seven. I don't think it's physically possible for us to be that guarded and that careful and protective sure. of what we say privately. Um, I'm thinking of like Slack DMs with a friend or a coworker yeah. or some things like that. Like it's it's just too much. There's just too we communicate too much and too often to be totally, totally careful 100% of the time, which isn't to say that we shouldn't try, but... I mean, I've seen this firsthand over the last two years. You can destroy anyone you want. I mean, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how clean or honest or not clean or not honest they are. Like, you can have someone that's completely uh, irresponsible and they're going to get defended and you can have someone that's completely clean and they're going to find things about them to take out of um, context and attack them with. Purity is an um, illusion. You know, it it gives me a lot of um, compassion towards that, right? And... So I don't know, as far as my own habits, Christina, you know, I'm very, very careful. Um, Like, for instance, when we decide to fire someone in my studio, um, we're very careful not to put that in writing, any of our discussions about it. You know, we call Mm -hmm. them on the phone and have that in person. Um, You know, um, I can say for myself, we've certainly pulled archives of emails off servers and gotten them as secure as we can. But, you know, at a certain point, there's no magic point where you're secure and you're safe. Um, You're not. I mean, I get I get emails all the time that small accounts have been hacked. Right. So um, this is the scary reality uh, that we're living in. And I, I think the one thing I would say just to be a little bit political this week is I can't believe I got into a Twitter argument with Julian Assange. I just can't. Like, like, he is... I mean, it's like, I like some of the WikiLeaks stuff that he's done, but that dude's a jerk. Like, he is terrible. Oh, my God. So... 
I don't know. Um, I could say like my own opinion of WikiLeaks, like seeing it this week. And, um, yeah, there's been some news reports of some, uh, rather things that I certainly interpret as anti-Semitic and I, I certainly do too. And, and some other things from WikiLeaks. And I have to say it, it really gives me pause about that organization and their intentions. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind mm-hmm. of where I am. No, I agree. They went after my friend, um, you know, Swift on Security yep. because that account tweeted some things that, that the WikiLeaks didn't like. And then the WikiLeaks fanboys came after the account and they had to um, briefly, uh, you know, uh, lock down yeah. their Twitter accounts yeah. because the dimensions were such a cesspool. And you have to think like what, again, you do, I think you have to question the motives and what's happening and why things are happening. And, um, that those we're not going to discuss those things on on our show. That's not what our nope. show is about. But I think that when you look at things like this, and when you look at how these breaches happen, it, it does. One of the questions I think that that and this is the same for any of the hacks. I mean, I think this is fair for Sony. This is certainly fair for Ashley Madison. For any of the big hacks that have happened, you have to kind of question what was the goal. Mm-hmm, and yeah. and and usually, I think a lot of times it is to watch things burn. Yeah, yeah. And and I think yeah. that's the scariest part. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Tracker. Tracker will help you keep track of all the most important things in your life. We ha- we have a lot of a lot of smart technology these days, but some of that smart technology is hard to hang on to, and when you lose track of your smart technology, you feel not so smart. So Tracker is a little device that you can use to locate your misplaced keys, misplaced wallet bags, computers. You can even use it to find your pets should you happen to lose them. Hopefully you have smart pets who don't get lost, but if your pets are a little, oh, you know, and they run off, you you can actually use Tracker to find them. If you have the device attached to their collar, you can log into your phone, see where they are on the app. It is Super, super cool. So basically, the way it works, they have this little device. Um, you pair Tracker with your smartphone. You attach it to the item that you want to be able to find no matter what, no matter what foolish thing you do with it. And you can find its precise location. And you can also use it even to find your phone. You, there's a button on the Tracker. Uh, you can pair it with your phone. You press a button on the Tracker and your phone will chime even when it is on silent. So basically, that... That is super useful. I know we all, I mean, we're talking about hacks today. We all have so much stuff on our phones that is so valuable. And if I ever misplaced my phone, I would be, well, I I wouldn't be a functioning human for one thing. I would also not Mm -hmm. be able to find anything. Um, But I would be able to find my phone because I would have Tracker. So the way it works, they have a huge crowd GPS network. So your lost stuff can show up on a map, even if it's miles and miles away, like poor Micah Sargent's iPad that he lost at WWDC. Should have had Tracker, buddy. What were you thinking? Poor guy. Uh, So basically, the Tracker app records your item's last known location on a map. And then when another Tracker user comes within a 100-foot range of the item, you'll get a GPS update of where it is. So you, like, even if you lose something, like, on a train and it's miles and miles away, you can find it again. If you lose it in your house, it'll be super easy to find. Track that stuff right down. You know you put your phone down in silly places. You know you shouldn't do that, but you do. And you're not, you're not going to get better. You're a fallible human being. But we have technology to make your life easier. So let me tell you 
how you, you can get 30% off your order at tracker.com. I will spell it for you because there's a little spelling trick that you have to know about. T-H-E-T-R-A-C-K-R.com, thetracker.com. Enter promo code ROCKET. You get 30% off your order and you will not lose your things again. Or rather, when you do lose them inevitably, you will find them immediately. Thank you so much, Tracker, for supporting this show and Relay FM. Um, so before we talk about our next topic, I wanted to uh, do some some show notes uh, or not show notes, I guess uh, some some business uh, from from last show. Um, Walter Shaw, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, listened to last show when I was complaining about my my 3D printed adventures with with my attempt to do a Pokédex. I then ended up writing a very long rant on Mashable about it, which uh, the 3D printer community did not appreciate. <laughs> but uh, they, they did not appreciate it at oh, all. Oh, I bet they didn't. They did not, because uh, I said 3D printers are never going to be a thing. Uh, I mean, in the home, and 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 I stand by it. Uh, even if, 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 if by never being a thing, I mean the next five to ten years. That to me counts as never being a thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, Walter, who's amazing. Um, 3D printed me a Pokedex and I don't have it in my possession right now. I will have it uh, tomorrow. We're recording a day early uh, so I can go see Radiohead tomorrow night. But but Walter, thank you so much for doing that. This is like, it's honestly the coolest thing that's ever happened. So I so appreciate you, you 3D printing me a Pokedex because it's going to make my Pokemon Go excursions that much better. So I thank am you so excited for, doing that. for you to get this Pokedex, and I am so excited. We should go on a Pokemon hunt, Christina. We should. Yeah, we should. Oh we should. God, we're fools. So okay, this is going to happen. New York now. We're going to have yeah. we're going to Pokemon hunting date. Um, I'm going to post photos of this on Twitter, um, and so so check you know the Rocket Twitter to, to to see this. But but Walter, thank you for for doing that. That's so cool. We have the best listeners. Really appreciate we do. it. We do the best use of your power as a 3D printer user. You truly, yes, you are kind. So, uh, this week, one Mr. Tim Sweeney had an interview in Edge magazine and made some some comments, um, kind of reiterating things that he said before about Windows and the development of the Universal Windows platform and his doubts, I guess, about Microsoft's intentions. It's a very kind word. Back up, back up real quick. Can we explain who Tim Sweeney is for the audience? Please do. You, can you? No. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Mr. Unreal. Like he he's like like when you think about Unreal, you think about Tim Sweeney. Like he followed me on Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, like that's my Mr. Unreal all day. You. Right. I consider yeah. you Ms. So, Unreal. Like if there's a okay. Ms. Ms. Uni- or Ms. Unreal tournament. Tournament. Yeah. 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 It that's would be a tournament, me. not a pageant. So yeah, you're Ms. Unreal and he's Mr. Unreal. Okay. Yeah, no, but this is this guy. I mean, he's basically a programming legend, right? Yeah. So let's let's back up for a bit. Uh, you know, Windows, Windows has really fallen out of favor with the game development community. Just to be honest, um, you know, Steam sales are definitely dropping off for you know indie developers, and even on the really high end side, there's a lot of um, you know discussion about the direction that Windows is heading. So let's look at. Um, 
you know, look at like, um, you know, Vulcan, which is kind of this open source, like we're going to get everything to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for people like Tim Sweeney, they kind of believe that the the open rules of you know, the open nature of Windows, it's really its strength. And I have to agree with that. So Windows 10 is coming out and you've got UMP, which is this, you know, it, it's intended to let you write in many different languages and, you know, it's kind of walled off and it's very controlled. Controlled and it it puts all these limitations on things you can do with the, the graphics card, but it's it's intending to basically um, bring more of an Apple like environment, right? And it's 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 really you know it's it really according to Sweeney goes against a lot of the 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 things that drew him to Windows in the first place. It's also worth saying, you know, Windows is not just under fire from you know Tim Sweeney, a really well known Epic person. And, you know, the entire steam machine, um, you know, basis, this was to move over to Linux. Uh, you know, I've been very skeptical about that. And it still has not happened. But, I was, was going to um, say, yeah. what was the status on that? Because I was at the steam machines launch at CES. And it was like, eight months later, and I think two of those things had actually come out. And, and now we're, you know, at, at more than like two years after that. And, and, uh, you know, two and a half years after that. And, and it seems like, you know, steam machines, if they are out there, they're mostly Windows based. I mean, you know, no, you're dead the, on. You're dead whole, on. The, the whole Linux thing that 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 Steam was going to do, that that Valve was going to kind of usher in, really didn't happen. Nope, it did not. Um, you know, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember Steam machines ever shipping. Do you remember that, Simone? Like they were going to have all these uh, proprietary people cou- shipping cou- like five hundred dollars. A couple of them did. Yeah, some of them did. They're okay. definitely out there, but it it, it was in no way. It was like a, a raindrop in right. the yeah. ocean. Like I like turn on Steam and I get an ad for Steam Link or the Steam Controller, of which I've used quite a bit at this point. It's not bad for XCOM too. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's not something that's really caught on because this boil the ocean strategy of expecting like game developers to suddenly start developing everything on Linux in addition to you know Windows yeah. is not realistic. But here, I think Sweeney has a real point because, you know, um, you know, these kinds of apps assume you're going to be using Visual Studio to develop them. You know, it kind of locks you in. Like before, very generally speaking, you had to choose between two different kind of architectures as you were developing your game. Um, here, it's really locking you into one. It's locking you into one kind of dev environment. And it's really putting a lot of rules around what you can kind of um, do at a, at a really low level. It's also worth saying some of the best paid people in our entire industry are the ones that really get down and do deep hacks Mm -hmm. on hardware to like really get your frame rate up and to fix things. Mm So, you know, I, I'm not someone that believes in either or like I can see the strength of this, but I certainly understand the backlash. And, um, I think, you know, windows is going to take a lot of political heat for this. So, so let me ask you a question then. So sure. Windows is taking heat, but we know that Linux isn't working. So, what is the what is the alternative? Just to develop straight for consoles, or, or what? Nope. That's it. There's no alternative. So you can keep complaining, but you know where are you going to go? Right, because I mean, a lot. I would think that a lot of developers, even if they hate, you know, Windows and whatnot, they're still going to have to support the runtime. They're still going to yep. have to to deal with it because that's where the bulk of of, of their of their users are going to be. 
yeah, especially in the game development. Right, that's, um, what, that's what I mean, games, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we've covered on the show a lot. Like, you know, they're not going to go over to Apple because no. of, you know, their problems with OpenGL. And I would love for the Apple's future of metal happening <laughs> where developers are actually going to go out there and implement it natively. Yeah. But, but frankly, even if OpenGL was taken care of, I mean, right now the big problem with Apple is the hardware, right? Like the hardware yeah. is, is old. It's and, huge, and, and, yeah. and, and and that's that's a huge concern, right? Is, is that you know you you don't have the up to date graphics that even, even let's assume OpenGL worked. You're, right. you're talking about you know really old old graphic. Uh, I feel like old isn't the fair word there. I feel like they've made a choice to go with the kind of um, architecture that emphasizes battery life over sure. graphics. So well, I was just I, I was yeah, really, I yeah. guess I was saying old in the sense that like the line like the MacBook Pro hasn't been updated significantly. Yeah, absolutely. Since X. You know the same yep. thing with the Mac Pro. You know the iMac obviously has, but you know the Mac Mini. You're talking about that. That's what I mean by old rather than I think. Than, it's yeah, I guess aged, maybe not old, but you know, it, it's everything is a little long in the tooth. In addition to the fact that they've probably made architecture choices, as you said, for battery life and performance in those ways, rather than for for gaming performance. I I guess I'd say this, Christine. I'd love to know what you hear when you talk to you know, your engineer friends at Microsoft. But I think, generally speaking, the people that I know that work at Microsoft. They believe in this direction for the yeah. platform. Um, you know, they believe in things like HoloLens. Mm-hmm. They believe in you know Cortana. They they like the new pricing. They like the 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 choices they're making as far as monetization. And when I talk to you know, people that work there, I see a lot of faith in the direction that it's going. So for me, as a game developer who's wasted months like re-architecturing things for a different, <laughs> you know, for for different technologies. I understand the anger. I understand the frustration. Like we always want those choices in it as engineers, but I kind of, I think you said it best. Like where else are you going to go? It's interesting to me. I'm thinking about this, even as the complaint is that Microsoft is sandboxing itself more and more. It's also blurring the lines between windows 10 and Xbox. So in that way, it is opening up in ways that other platforms are just not doing there's an interesting dichotomy there, and I mean that that op- that creates a bigger audience for apps and games than just the Windows audience. I think, uh, but but oh, potentially for sure. And I mean, I think obviously that's why Microsoft is doing this. They have this whole one Windows philosophy, and 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 that was something that you know started before Satya came on board. You know, uh, Balmer was still there when the Xbox One was launched, but 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 that was part of that whole kind of strategy is that it, it's all kind of built on the same core, and you can do the same sorts of things. And and I think that that's that's their strategy going forward. It's one Windows and and making things work as seamlessly as possible. But I but I, I do you know to 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 Bree's point, you know. I can understand developers being frustrated. I do wonder if part of the frustration is that this really seems like the first time, you know, Microsoft historically has been such a developer friendly company, even when they've made decisions that companies like, like valve might not like valve doesn't like stuff because it, 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 they see how it could impact their stores bottom line. Right. It really doesn't have, at least to me anyway, maybe I'm totally wrong on this, you know, Gabe, uh, message me and tell me I'm wrong. But like, it seems to me like a lot of those things come from down to, to, to business uh, disagreements rather than technical things. And, and they, at least on the valve side and, and it seems like they're, they're making kind of excuses on that end. Um, you know, what, what, what's happening, um, you know, at Epic might be different, but it seems like this is one of the first cases where Microsoft, which has historically been such a developer friendly, company and kind of bent over backwards to, to, to doing whatever developers have kind of asked of them is now kind of 
again, as you said earlier up top, Brie, kind of taking the more Apple approach and being like, actually, we're going to dictate how this works because, as you were saying, Simone, it's really important for them to kind of expand the whole pie and and make these make their multiple platforms work together. Yeah, I I do have to say I think uh, as tempting as I think the Apple analogy is, I really worry that the outcome is going to be closer to Android. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the you know one of the the core features of you know UWP is that kind of. Uh, really oversimplifying it, it kind of scales it to the hardware that you're on, like the theoretical idea being it's going to run mm. differently depending on what, um, you know, what kind of architecture you're on. So if you're, you know, on a very, you know, like a, a more networky machine, yeah, that's going to be different than like a, you know, real workhorse. Um when it comes to graphics, you know, it's just, you can't really push the barrier with that kind of technology. Like think about World of Warcraft. This is an engine that is excellent at scaling, as is all all of Blizzard stuff. But none of it really, I mean, Overwatch kind of does, but none of it really pushes the barriers mm, as far as sure. how far you can go. So scalability kind although of comes, it, yeah, please. Although it's not part of that to the online component and the fact that so it much, is. you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, but you're, you're right. I'm not, I'm not trying to claim but the, the, but the, the engine scaling thing. Like sure. the idea with World of Warcraft, one of the reasons it gets so popular is it would run on most any kind of machine. Right. right? So engine scaling, adding detail, adding prettier textures, adding mm-hmm. better particles, you know, even at the the highest, that game is not going to look as awesome as, say, I don't know, Star Wars Battlefront, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's just, it's kind of putting, it's just not a great solution, I think, for Windows. So I, I really understand the, um, the critique there. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Take control of the take control of Slack books from yes. Tidbits. Yes. 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 We are yes. all here. Slack users. Yes, we are. And I imagine many of our listeners are also Slack users. But what if they could become super Slack users? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Think of it. You use Slack perhaps every day, or perhaps you're a casual user. Either way, There are secrets hiding within Slack that no one has ever told you before. (laughs) You know what we'll tell you, those secrets? Take control of Slack from Tidbits. There's a book, uh, Take Control of Slack Basics, that's out now. It's for Slack, the Slack user who wants to just become more comfortable in Slack, do a deep dive, find some of the, the cool things that you can do that Slack doesn't really tell you about up front, like collaborative editing um it like gets in depth on how you can use private messaging scheduled reminders oh my god when i learned that i could tell slack to remind me to do things Hmm. that changed my life come on people there are so many ways like especially if you're using slack for work it there's a risk you know you're on it all the time there's a risk of it becoming too much of a distraction rather than a helping tool and learning how to best use the program is the best way to make sure that it is making you the best most efficient best best worker that you can best be so basically um i mean and the other benefit of slack i guess is that as many cool things as you can do with it like just learning to use it uh use it for, you know, messaging and stuff is super easy. Like, it's super intuitive, but there's all this hidden meaning underneath. So 
this is what that book is about, teaching you how to become the Slack Master, which is what we will call you when you learn how to use Slack. The Slack Master? The Slack Master. <laughs> I'm thinking about 1984 Ghostbusters, as you're saying that, Simone. Good. It's, um, yeah, You'll it's walk interesting, into the office interesting and people visual. will be like, yeah. oh, it's the Slack Master. Yes, yes. I, I have to say, like, okay, yeah, I'm sure this book is great, but, like, let me, let me point this way. Friend of the show, Glenn Fleischman, yep. one of my favorite human beings in the whole universe, did this book. Now, Christina, if I got a call from you at 2 a.m. you said, Bree, don't ask any questions. Just come here. Come alone. Don't tell anyone. I've got a problem. I need some help with it. I would be there for you. I would be there for you, Simone. I would be there for Glenn Fleischman and maybe my husband. Hmm. Like, that is how awesome Glenn Fleischman is. And think about how many trillions of tweets he's written you and you've read that you've never paid a dime for. And now yeah. it's the time to pay Glenn back for the thousands, hundreds of thousands of tweets you've read. We've all seen thousands for sure. Millions probably. (laughs) Millions of tweets. The the, the millions of words that that, that Glenn has tweeted. Yeah. I feel like we're calling him out. Like, Glenn, get off Twitter. (laughs) But but literally, literally, Glenn Fleischman has tweeted 426,000 times. So you wow. know you've so, read so, one of his tweets. Even if you think, you know I don't you follow have. that guy, you've read one and of so his it, tweets. So you've read one of his tweets, so you should say thank you. But not only that, you should say thank you and learn to use Slack, take control right. of Slack at the same time. Unless right. his tweet was a dad pun, because he does that sometimes. And like in that case, like Honestly, definitely. Honestly, still worth it. So no, here's the case. <laughs> if it was, a da- it, was a, if it was a dad pun and you're not into dad puns, because, you know, let's be real. Let's, we're not all. Right. Just read another one. Because that's the great thing about uh, Glenn. Since <laughs> since uh, since we started this this conversation about him, he's tweeted four times. So oh just 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 <laughs> literally. So so I mean, just read another one. Buy his silence by buying this book. <laughs> no, Glenn is wonderful. His tweets are wonderful. So I love Glenn. you can also. There's also another. If you feel that you are already the Slack master. You can become the Slack admin with the Take Control of Slack admin book, which helps you set up a team or manage one that you've already created. It just covers all those technical details on, like, how to set up channels. What channels do you need? Managing all those humans that work for you. You need to take care of those people. You're their admin. You have responsibility. So Take Control of Slack admin is the other book. We, today, can offer you, the Rocket listeners, a 20% discount on these books. Whoa. Yeah. You want that 20% discount? You should visit slackhelp.me slash rocket. So that 20% discount will be applied automatically when you check out. The books are available in all the formats. They're DRM-free. You can get them EPUB, PDF, Mobi. Read them in all of your apps. So, yes, um, please do take advantage of this. It Slack is an awesome program. I love using it, and every day I'm learning things about it. And now that I know about this book, uh, I'm going to be learning a lot more and a lot faster. Yeah. Uh, and if you are a Slack admin who wants to distribute the basics book to your team members, you can get a bulk discount at 50% off for five Whoa. or more copies. So it's not just about giving you the knowledge. It's about... Giving it to those less fortunate than you. The people who work for you. <laughs> I, I have to be honest with you, Simone. I pay, I think, like $12 or something for my Slack account every single month. I'm using like maybe 40 cents of that. So I feel with this book, I could really get the most of that fee every month. Yeah, totally. 
So yeah, again, slackhelp.me slash rocket. Uh, take advantage of that sweet 20% discount. And yeah, become the Slack Master today and then tweet at me and I'll say, hey, Slack Master, what's up? And what's you'll up, say, never G? tweet me again. Slack Master G. Slack Master G. <laughs> Could be a show title. <laughs> I'm thinking about wearing like a copy of this book around my neck, like Flavor Flav. Like <laughs> I'm Slackmaster. What's up? You yeah, should I, do that. You should have should. wear around like Flavor Flav, and also have a clock because that yes. way. Yep. Yep. But Slack will tell me what time it is. Well, that's the thing. Slack, 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 no, it'll, right. it'll remind you. It'll remind you what what time it is. It'll say, "Hey, it's now time to do this," and you're like, "Oh, thanks, Slack." Be awesome. I want that for you, Bree. I want this future for you, and you can have it. I believe. Thank you so much, Tidbits, and uh, Take Control of Slack Books for sponsoring the show. Moving on to our next topic, we wanted to talk about Verizon's purchase of Yahoo, and specifically Marissa Meyer and kind of all the 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 issues that swirl around. I mean, is it fair to say, Bree, that we're going to talk about the the glass cliff and women CEOs? I mean, that's my interpretation of it. Christina may walk me back a bit from my firebrand feminist interpretation, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that there there was something to be said about the glass cliff in this case with her. Um, Although at the same time, I mean, kind of, even though this obviously was not the ending that I think that she wanted when she joined Yahoo four years ago, what makes me happy, at least about how this is ending now for her, is that for the first time in what feels like a really long time, this was a female tech CEO who wasn't a disaster. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was like, not, not a dumpster not a Car- fire. We can say no, that. I mean, well, I mean, you know, it's not a Carly Fiorina situation where women's CEOs were set back a generation, mm-hmm. you know, where we're, 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 we're a decade, basically. You know, this is a situation where she came into a company that was very troubled, that yep. the best person would not have been able to fix. And that isn't to say she didn't make some mistakes, both strategic and and personnel-wise, because she certainly did. Everybody does. But I don't think anybody is going to be – but nobody is looking at the fact that the Verizon purchasing Yahoo um, as being Marissa's fault. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not Marissa Meyer's fault. This is an inevitability. And and if anything, you know, she was able to at least keep the company, you know, intact and, and, and shepherd its assets the right way. Uh, you might take some issue with, with some of the acquisitions she made and some of the stra- strategic decisions she made, but I don't think that any changes to those things, there wasn't anything fundamentally with, with the way that she ran the company that led to this happening. This was kind of, this was an inevitability. And and, and I'd love to kind of get your take, Brie, but I, I guess I am almost excited by that where, you know, you have a woman who gave birth, you know, twice while, while CEO, you know, she announced her pregnancy Right after it was announced that she was joining Yahoo, she was like she was hired while she was pregnant. She gave birth um, a few months after she took the job. She gave birth to twins in the middle of literally, you know, the the, the board of directors and and you know, like uh, fighting, you know, the, the, this coup for her job. Um, and and I think really um, did a great job of just kind of not giving into. So many of the stereotypical uh, pressures that they can they can you know besiege you know women or or, or minorities who are in power positions and and I feel like um, even though this wasn't maybe the outcome she would have wanted like she should hold her head up high oh yeah like, mm-hmm. and yeah. she's you know? so young too yeah I you know Chris I uh, something I think about a lot is you know, we all have to get past our our gut impulses you know and I I will readily admit one of my biases is when 
I see a woman criticized in the press, um, mm-hmm. you know, my gut impulse is to go, ah, right, and to kind of go, is this is this fair to her? You sure. know, and we we've certainly with uh, you know, Theranos held you know, Elizabeth Holmes to I think a pretty fair standard on the show, totally. but there's still part of me that goes, mm. um, so with. I just want to put that out there. You know, the the glass cliff is a very real phenomenon that, you know, basically when organizations are about to go under, this is when they tend to appoint female leaders. Um, Mm -hmm. It also is something for other minorities. Um, Sure. You know, you can see this in game development. You can see it uh, in technology. Certainly it's, it's a very constant phenomenon. So, you know, Yahoo has been sliding down in relevance and, you know, she kind of got this uh, very, um, you know, high profile provi- pr- position. And I think over the last, how many years has it been? Like four, four or years. five? No, yeah, four since years. 2012. We've seen, four years. Yeah. We've seen some it was July real, 2012. There's, there's definitely been some sexist stuff that's come out. And I'm definitely. not talking small things like, you know, uh, a shareholder standing up at one of uh, their meetings and talking about how hot he sh- thought she was, wildly <laughs> inappropriate, or, you know, wildly sexist uh, you know, profiles of her just concentrating on like a bunch of superficial stuff. I, I, there's been some really, there's been things that have have been written about her really disturbed me. There was a a piece talking at Yahoo's Christmas party. I think it was this year. It was this year. Yes. Right. They were blasting her for, um, the expenses. Like this glitzy party where she's roped off and has this couch like she's some diva, and they don't mention that like she's, she's pregnant, pregnant with, with twins and may have to frack and sit down. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess I would say this: I can't help but when I read a bunch of stories coming out today that say, "Ooh, look at her making off like bandits with yeah. all that Yahoo money," and then at the same time, I'm going. Gosh, Twitter's earnings came out today, and mm-hmm. they were garbage. How many people will are mad at Jack? Credit, how, yeah, will be mad at Jack if he gets that same amount of money? And the answer is almost none. Yeah, I, agree. I wanted to ask you about uh, yeah. that. Actually, sorry, finish your thought. No, no, no. That's uh, it's it's just that. Like, I think I think she's been held to a lot of sexist standards mm-hmm. over the Absolutely course of her has. career. Um, of course she has. I mean, she was the first female. She was the first female engineer hired she, by Google. You know? She's gotten she, it from feminists too. I thought the critique of some of her stuff about different policies has just well, been definitely. Well, circular she, she, firing squad. Yeah. Well, because because you can't win when you're a, a working you know um, mother. Um, and I can't speak to that with any authority because I'm I'm child free by choice. I'm not going to have children. But I know that the the women who choose to work are held to a different standard. There's so many women. I mean, I was talking with somebody. Um, the other day, who was who was criticizing her and saying, "Well, maybe now she can stay home with her children or something." Oh, and, and this was someone. Oh. This was someone. This was someone like young, and 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 I and I was very quick to be like, you know, I don't or you know, I don't I don't judge her for for going back to work immediately after having her twins. She was in the middle of a, of a crisis. There was a board coup. You know, there were there were um, you know. Um, uh, you know uh, what? What? What's the term when you have activist investors, activist shareholders who were yeah. literally try, kind of coming for the company? This was like a crucial moment, mm-hmm. and she went back to work. Nobody would criticize Mark Zuckerberg if that had been this case. If he went back to work, you know, a week later, and and if she has the people who can take care of it, then that's fine. And 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 I'm not going to judge someone's parenting abilities. You're you're absolutely right. There's been a gendered and a sexist tone to her from the beginning. You know, she was profiled in Vogue and, and, and that was made a big deal of, and, uh, you know, um, because of the, but the photo spread and also kind of the, the, the article when, you know, on the one hand, not a lot of, of CEOs 
have the the sort of glamour and allure that they would be able to be profiled in a glossy magazine like that. But on the other hand, you know, people immediately kind of almost treated it derisively and dismissively, whereas if it was, you know, somebody being profiled in, in, in GQ um, or, or, you know, a, you know, a men's magazine, if it was a male CEO, probably wouldn't get the same type of blowback. Having said all that, and, and, and I, I think that those those critiques have been really, really terrible, I do feel like she's really, in spite of all these things, set such a good example for women in leadership. That even yeah. though this didn't work out the way that maybe she would have wanted it to, this didn't diminish. This is not an Elizabeth Holmes situation where mm-hmm. I worry about the future generation of female startup founders because she's made everybody look bad. This is a situation where Marissa doesn't make anybody look bad. Even if she made some mistakes, it didn't make anybody look bad. And when people talk about the money, I want to I be very clear. You know, She's earned every dollar of that because anybody who took that job would have demanded that sort of payout because you don't take that job unless – you are willing to kind of fight for the fences. It is a job where you're going to – we all knew it was destined for failure. Now, whether mm-hmm. it was a glass cliff scenario and they brought on a woman for it, who knows? I think that she saw it as a challenge but was smart enough to say, damn it, if I'm going to waste years of my life and 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 potentially selling my reputation and and leave this cushy gig at Google to take over this, this suicide mission, I'm going to get paid. Yeah. And she did, as she should have. Yeah, yeah. it was I definitely – agree more. Not a, a comfortable situation, I, I think, especially considering, you know, she was she's living, you know, the that life of, you know, having a family as well as having an incredible job. And, you know, she came from Google as a product manager. She clearly like she's very devoted to this and is used to taking research at Google. <laughs> What was that? You know, she wasn't just a product. She wasn't just a product manager at Google. She ran search at Google. She ran the homepage. Yeah. You know, and, and and she was later moved to, to to the maps and location stuff. But I mean, she ran the homepage for many many years. Was she the did. person who would oversee every pixel on the most visited homepage on the web. Mm-hmm. You know, like this this she's you know somebody who had the bona fides. And I think honestly, that's why even though there has been some sexist uh, sexism around uh, the framing of her, especially I think as a working mother, more more than some other cases, mm-hmm. one thing that has always um, made me feel better about her, at least not her, not better about her, but better about the way people have treated her, is that unlike a lot of, of people in her in her uh, position could have been, her competence has never been at, at issue. Even, even her critics, I, I, at least I haven't seen, haven't ever gone over saying she wasn't qualified and she's I, not intelligent I, enough. I'm, I don't know. I've, I've seen, I've seen stuff like the, I've seen her characterized as this you know, woman that will spend tons of money on fashion and, you know, being uptown at like different plays and stuff like that. Who's disconnected sure. from A, B and C. So I, I personally have seen that. Okay. Well, maybe um, that's fair, but I guess in yeah. terms of like, from a business acumen standpoint, I still, I haven't, I haven't seen the, the, the I mean, I've certainly seen personal criticisms of things like that, but, but it hasn't been one of those things where, you know, you look back and go, Oh, she wasn't qualified to run a company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I want to say a lot, which a lot of people, in her position, given her kind of kind of, kind of glamour and and and, and uh, status, even before she joined Yahoo, would have I think their competence would have been questioned. Yeah, I wanted to I, since you were you have come up very strong, you know, saying that she's she's very competent. She's going to get another good job after this. I kind of went just now and skimmed the headlines in Google News to kind of get the the lay of the land of what yeah. was being discussed about her. And I, I did see a lot of what Brie was saying about the the golden parachute. Um, mm-hmm. yep. But oh, it, totally. it has, uh, the stuff I'm, I'm seeing now is quite, you know, they're talking about the doomed 
quote-unquote doomed effort to reinvent Yahoo from The Guardian, which I think is fair. It's Yahoo. Um, and then totally. we've got, I, I guess, a piece at the Wall Street Journal that I kind of want your take on. Um, after Yahoo, Marissa Meyer may, Meyer may have to wait for another CEO chance about um, yeah. this hurting her short-term prospects. Do you think that's a fair thing to say? I think it probably is, but but again, I, I I don't think it's because of her performance necessarily. It's just the fact that it's Yahoo, you know, mm-hmm. and and the fact that the, the way that it ended was in this board coup and having to be sold off. Yeah, more than likely she would have to wait. And I mean, that's again, that's why you take the golden parachute. That's why you take the compensation package that she took because if you're going to take that risk, you want to be able to have you know your own money and your own time to be able to take time off and figure out what you want to do next. Yeah, mm-hmm. her destiny is is doing board work for different corporations in Silicon Valley, and yeah. she'll do extremely well. I I guess I would say this. Um, you know, something that really clicked with me the other day as I was talking to an academic, and I was talking about why. Sometimes as women in tech, it feels like we get so much fire from our own side, which I certainly think Marissa has been subject to. Mm -hmm. I'm really, it it hurts me to see the way some of her worst critics have been other women. And what what my friend was telling me is, you know, women get it from everybody. Mm -hmm. We get it from men, we get it from each other. You know, you get, we get cut off by each other. We get criticized by each other. We get called names by each other. It's, it's from everyone. So I, I think it's something like earlier, Simone, you were talking about having uh, compassion for the people that were, you know, hacked and kind of having a moment and asking yourself if um, you, know, you could live up for that standard. Sometimes when I read stuff about um, you know, Marissa and it's like her not giving A, B, and C a show because she doesn't have a college degree. And I'm like, wow, what a, you know, my gut, Oof. that mean girl voice inside me goes, <laughs> oh, what a terrible person. And I feel like judging her. I try to remember, like, so much of me is going to hold her to harder standards, if that makes sense. So, I don't know. It's just a mess. Yeah. Here we have, here, here we have the, the hit piece, but it's in the Las Vegas sun. Okay. <laughs> a trailblazer, but no game changer for women. Uh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and again, I don't want to try to imply that there aren't going to be stories like that, but I just feel like her ultimate legacy when we get out of the, the, the couple of days after this is announced, I think will ultimately be good for women in business, yeah. which makes me happy because it we've had so many stories where it's not good for women when mm-hmm, you have yeah. somebody who, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of businesses have troubles and, and honestly, this is not the worst exit that could have happened. You know, $4.8 billion yeah. is, is more than a lot of people thought might have happened. And, and she, you know, the, 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 the Remain Co., the, the Alibaba and Yahoo Japan investment will, will be, you know, uh, created on, on, on its own exchange ticket. I mean, she's, she ultimately, I think, did the best that she could for the shareholders. And, and her vision for what Yahoo would, would like to be, she didn't have the time in the runway. And, and again, I mean, that's not to say all of her strategic decisions we're the best things to do, but nobody makes all those decisions. I can't honestly, looking at the way Yahoo was when she came in, I don't know anybody who could have done any better. I mean, you would have had to basically, you know, you take a brand that had already had so much rot and decay and was had lost so much cachet. You had employees who were, were not motivated to work. You had, you know, no mobile strategy. And she focused on a lot of the right things. The, the, the question was, you know, what was the, you know, was there enough time? I don't think there was. And, but, but I, and I, I also, you know, I, I will critique her in this way. I don't think that she ever, 
because she was unwilling to answer the question, are we a tech company or a media company for Yahoo? I, I do think that ultimately kind of hurt how the company was able to position itself. But I think a lot of her overarching kind of thoughts and things she wanted to do weren't bad ideas and, and she made some good decisions. And, and frankly, I, you know, if Jerry Yang had stayed CEO, you know, things wouldn't have been great. Everybody wants to talk about the fact that like, you know, Yahoo should have sold to Microsoft for $45 billion eight years ago. You're right. They should have, but you know what? Marissa wasn't in charge then. And mm-hmm. that was that, you know, uh, that, that wasn't even uh, Carol Bartz yet. I mean, you know, the, the, talk about women being thrown under the bus. Carol Bartz, who was the female CEO of Yahoo before Marissa was really thrown under the bus for, for her behavior and, and, and really negative personal things about her were said and about kind of her private life were, were kind of put out there. Um, not necessarily in the press, but certainly kind of in the background of the press. And she, you know, was, was not given, she'd, she'd come from Autodesk where she'd been very successful and went to Yahoo and it was kind of a disaster. You know, again, I think that Marissa in a lot of ways, her legacy is going to be Okay, even though this didn't work, it wasn't because she wasn't good enough to do the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's well said. Yeah, um, I I don't want this topic to be entirely about gender stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, just briefly because I think we we've all had a long week. Um, like it's when, Tuesday. When, when, <laughs> it is Tuesday. Uh, I worked all weekends, Mount. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, what is what is your take on this on this um, you know this purchase, Christina? Because I mean, to me, it. I, I feel like there's just no sizzle to really talk about with it. It makes sense, like as a, a general content acquisition strategy. Um, you know, I think there's certain um, you know, vertical synergies that are going to be present here, and I think not enough people really understand that the power of Yahoo is just how many normal people open up their web browsers every Definitely. morning, and mm-hmm. that's where they get their news that's where they and get information the news. from. All, those, all the advertising profiles that Verizon's consolidating. So I I think I mean I think it it makes sense. Is it exciting? Is it sexy for either company? Not really. It's deeply um, unsexy I, because yeah. it's Verizon <laughs> and Yahoo, okay. and I associate both of those things with like sex. I don't know. So right, many years right. ago. Yes. Yeah. No. Totally. I mean, I think you know. Ver- I mean, look. I, I don't quite under. I mean, this makes sense in the same reason. I guess it made sense for Verizon to buy AOL. You know, it, honestly. This makes sense just because Verizon did buy AOL. And do you think, okay, well, AOL and, and, and Yahoo would basically kind of become the same company where you have, you know, very big media traffic, you know, sites. And, and in the case of Yahoo, their homepage. In the case of AOL, some of their properties. And, and you have, you know, ad tech and you have some some programmatic other things. Um, and, and you're trying to kind of create something out of that. And so, you know, it. Verizon, who's making more and more of a content play, as as most of the big telecos are, you know, AT and T owns Directv. You know, Verizon also invested in Complex. You know, um, a, a Comcast obviously owns NBC Universal. You know, they're making these big plays, and so I think that part of it is is a media play, part of it is is an ad serving play, part of it is a reach play. But yeah, it's it's deeply kind of unsexy, as you said, because neither of these companies are that interesting. I think what will be interesting is will be to see what happens to the properties that they've acquired and, and how they'll be treated and, and what happens. You know, Yahoo has 10,000 employees and, and one of the criticisms I think this app uh, that has been kind of plaguing the company for years is the fact that they really need to trim down that staff. And certainly you don't want anybody to lose their jobs, but when you look at a company that that size, that's sprawling, that many people and that many different products that some things work and some things don't, and you don't even know what you know, the right hand literally isn't talking to the left hand, 
there's going to have to be, I think, some pairing down there. But but you, you do wonder what does this mean for Flickr? What does this mean for Tumblr? You know, what mm. does this mean um, for, for Yahoo Finance? You know, um, what does it mean for, for those things? And, and does the Yahoo brand even survive or does it get rolled into – to, to go 90 or whatever. I There's mean, definitely a lot of fear in the, the Tumblr sphere, not so much revolving around Marissa, Marissa Meyer herself, but just Yahoo's past interactions with like GeoCities, et cetera. Years and years ago, there's a lot of bad blood there. Well, I mean, I think Seth Figerman, my former colleague who now works at CNN wrote the definitive story about how, you know, um, Tumblr basically, you know, like fumbled under, under Yahoo and, and and how um, you know, despite kind of maybe best intentions, Yahoo wasn't the best steward for that company. Um, and there, there there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I'll give you the link, Simone, so we can put it yeah, in the show I notes. Love that. It's, a, it's a really, really, really good read, and and has a lot of comments from, from both former and, and current employees, and and really I think has kind of an inside shot of what happened there. But I do think, you know, that the. Um, the fear was real when she made that acquisition. That was her big kind of, that was like her mm-hmm. Instagram moment. You know, she spent a billion dollars on, on this company and, and, and it didn't really pay off. You know, they had to write off a lot of the goodwill value of Tumblr. That doesn't mean though that the Tumblr is worthless, but I do feel like, and I've seen this on, on Tumblr when I've been on, that, that in the wake of the, the, the sale and even before the sale, there were already memes going around. Oh, Tumblr is going to shut down, back up your blogs, you know, it's being sold. It's, it's going to go away. People getting freaked out over that. Um, and I think that that, the current kind of climate probably is slightly different and separated from what happened to GeoCities because if we're being honest, I mean, that was like four companies ago. You know, Yahoo's yeah. being sold now, but if you really look at the history of this company, it's it's been a cluster uh, f- for, for you know, for 16 years. You know, they're, they're, it's been kind of in chaos. It's 23 years old, but it probably has been in, in chaos, you know, since 2000. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there, there's like almost two discussions there and one is just like the the umbrella topic of how hard it is to monetize fandom and how most big companies like Yahoo don't really know how to do that and then there's you know this specific acquisition and what it means or doesn't mean for Tumblr so you know it's like oh we'll see cool yeah yeah it, i mean it'll it'll be interesting i'm i'm on Tumblr so that's where i guess this will intersect with my life um, or perhaps not at all. No, totally. I mean, because it depends on what, 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 you know, Verizon wants to do with it. I mean, because Verizon could do a number of things. They could kind of keep a lot of the properties operating as they do now. As it's been standing, Tumblr has basically kind of been separate, you know, from, from Yahoo and kind of, there were parts that were integrated and things that weren't integrated as well as they could have been. But, um, and, and if you read Seth's piece, that's kind of uh, the, the gist of why things didn't really work as well as they should have is the wrong parts were integrated. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with that platform and, and, and how they treat it. Um, but I certainly, you know, if you're a user of any of these, of these Yahoo services, you know, even though they claim everything's going to be fine, at least until 2017, I mean, you know, it, it does stand a reason I think I think this can cause anxiety for for what those what the future of those services means at, at least at, at a macro level if not for like the day to day operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Shall we wrap things up for the night? We should get some more sleep this week. Simone. I, I won't. Not this week. Brianna, <laughs> well, what are you up okay. to this week? I'm sleeping. I'm taking all your extra hours of sleep and doing that. Why are you so uh, cruel? I, 
I have a um, a trailer out for some work that I'm putting out this week. I'm Excellent. pretty excited about that. Finally getting that out the stupid door. Thank you, marketing. Um, yes, so I've got that coming up and uh, always a lot of articles coming out. Nice. Christina, what about you? Uh, well, as always, you know, I have work coming out. I've got a story that'll be up at the time, you know, this podcast goes up about um, Marissa uh, Mer- um, Meyer's legacy um, at Yahoo and and uh, why she you know, I think was overall it's been a, a really positive steward for women in tech's kind of a, a basically a better written version of what I just orated or, or what our discussion just was. Um, and uh, th- thanks to Walter, uh, I'm going to have a 3D Pokedex. So. Nice. Yay. You're going to be Pokemon I pictures hunting. Of that. Yeah, getting pictures. And I'm going to Radiohead this week. So look oh. at my Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram for Radiohead photos oh. from Madison Square Garden because I'm You're very excited. You're the cool excited. girl that's always going to concerts. I am the cool girl oh. that always goes to concerts because I'm not that, not that cool, but I do love concerts. <laughs> And I'm I'm pretty much same old, same old, um, writing a lot and just doing my work. Looking forward to Rattle and Hum Day, which is coming up on Monday, as always, August 1st. The uh, traditional day when people, everyone all over the world, watches the U2 Rattle and Hum concert documentary, which... I don't know if y'all have ever tried to... Here's my struggle. In the year of our Lord 2016, it is very hard to watch a DVD with people remotely. There are services where you can stream things with people remotely, share a screen, etc., etc. It is... You either have to have, like, a file on your computer or you are, for example, Googling Watch, Rattle, and Hum U2 online. And shockingly, there are spam websites who think that it is – it could potentially be profitable for them to host a fake version of a 1988 concert documentary. (laughs) Which I looked at that and I was like, really? Um, I too – well – I, I do believe it is on iTunes, but the um, streaming services that I was looking at... Actually, you are the person to ask about this. So I was looking at Rabbit. They don't have iTunes integration. We were, we were looking at um, Gaze, and they don't have iTunes integration. They offer some sort... They offer, like, YouTube, Netflix, Crunchyroll, things like that. Um, Rattle and Hum is on YouTube in a playlist as separate videos, but I, I'm not finding it anywhere just hosted legally online. I don't think it's on Hulu um, because, again, it's not as popular as some other things that people might want to stream, like literally anything else. Uh, I have very specific streaming needs. So I don't know. It, this is this is a very annoying problem. We have it on DVD. I own it legally. I cannot, like, put it on it. I can't, like, I mean, I could do Skype screen share, but that's garbage and i don't want to um i'm looking to see if it's streaming anywhere and it is not well world this is your problem this is your homework solve this for me um thank you for listening to this episode of rocket but first rewind rewind rihanna where can i find you online space cat gal on twitter all right christina what about you you can find me at film underscore girl on uh, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. Very cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar. As past Simone said, thank you for listening to this episode of Rocket. If you liked it, please go leave us a review on iTunes. Past Simone has told you to do that many times and you never listen to her. She feels so disrespected. Like she she doesn't want to say anything. She doesn't want to make you feel bad, you know. So I'm just gonna tell you, don't don't let her know that I told you this. But, like, she really wants you to leave her a review. Like, she'd feel so appreciated if you did that. Um, 
be, you know, don't don't let her know that that I told you this because she'd be so upset if you knew that she was, you know, thinking about it and dwelling on it every day and every night. Um, it's not a big deal, but you know, whatever. Leave a review on iTunes. Uh, this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>